Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tauber Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. Now, on to the show. Today's guest sees cycling as a meditative experience and and how to really have the opportunity to be with the best of humanity from his bicycle. And he's an advocate for more bike lanes to increase bike access anywhere in the world. And he's coming to us today from Mexico City. So welcome to the show, Daniel. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I will say I am normally in Mexico City. That's where I live full time. But I today am uh, visiting family and for like this month visiting family in New York. Uh, I was going to say, it, it doesn't seem like we have the same internet connection now that we did the first time we talked. So you are stateside. Yes. Yes. So how long will you be in the U.S.? Uh, I'm here. I got here a few weeks ago. I'm taking kind of a summer. I'm a teacher most of the year. So I am taking the summer, even though I'm teaching online, um, taking the summer to be here until the end of July. Nice. And what took you to Mexico City? Uh, so a number of things, but uh, I'd been there back and forth for probably 10 to 15 years. I studied abroad in college in Mexico and in Argentina. And Mexico City was always the uh, city that I felt was kind of closest in feel to New York City, where I'm from. And so once I got the chance to move there in 2018, I had a job offer that was at a school there. And I started that job and didn't want to leave the city. I mean, it was very clear to me that I was much happier there than I had been in New York City or uh, Chicago, where I lived for a few years prior to Mexico City. Uh, I was much happier in Mexico City than either of those two cities in my adult life. And and cycling, when you, when you started cycling, when you relocated to Mexico City, because I know that you're an avid mm-hmm. cyclist, I mean, what was that like? Uh, well, I so I got to Mexico City in 2018. And then for about two more years, I didn't really have a bike. I was, I I had, I moved a few times. So like it was just me and public transit for the most part um, and occasional uh, cabs, ride chairs, because it was just easier to do it that way sometimes. But uh, right about March, early to mid-March of 2020, I happened to get a bike, not necessarily planning like I'm going to need this as much as I now do um but it was just a coincidence that it coincided with the beginning of the pandemic and i got the bike and haven't really gotten off it since except for uh, a knee injury i got hit by a truck uh, on a road once and that put me out for a few months but i'm pretty much uh, rehabilitated from that so i am back on and not planning to get off again <laughs> I love it. So tell us about this injury that happened and if this is a part of the reason why you are an advocate for bike lanes. So I'm an advocate for bike lanes because I'm an advocate for anything, any any vehicle that is um, 
not fossil fuel powered and brings us more in contact with each other. So that means if we're, you know, instead of, you know, 50 cars or 15 cars getting to a traffic light, if we're a bunch of bikes, I think we are in better contact with each other and we are healthier for it. Uh, so the more bikes and the less cars, the better. And since if we get more bikes, it means more lanes for bikes. I'm an advocate for bike lanes. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say that for me, biking is without a doubt um, just the kind of the only way I would like to get around. I think if possible, I would love to see everyone do that. And for those who can't, I would just want to see more public transit options. Mm-hmm. And how about the accident? What happened when you were hit? So fun times. I got, uh, I was riding home from one of the very few days that I had to go into the school that I was working at at the time. Uh, I had to go to the school and on my way, on my way home, I was taking the route that I would normally take. Um, and a car, actually a small truck was backing up and uh, didn't see me, wasn't really doing a good job of driving to begin with. And I was going forward and just couldn't, there was, it was a small two lane road, uh, in a big city. So kind of full of traffic and I just couldn't get out of the way in time. So we collided him, him going backwards, me going forwards, maximum momentum. And it resulted in me needing an ACL, uh, reconstruction in my knee. I'm sorry that happened, but I'm glad you're okay. Ditto. (laughs) Yeah. So in terms of what you were talking about on how people being more connected when they're on bicycles versus, you know, stuck between hunks of metal when you're at a stoplight, Mm -hmm. you also say that cycling has allowed you to experience the best of humanity. Mm -hmm. So the best of humanity and knowing that people connect differently when there's only air between us, right? The same air that we breathe, the Mm -hmm. same air that we bring in our body and bring out of our body. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, what that experience has been like for you to feel that you experience the best of humanity in that way. So I came up with that phrase or it occurred to me when I did my first uh, bike tour, which was from Chicago to San Francisco. And I, somewhere in the midst of the Great Plains, kind of, I think it was, it it reminds me of, I don't know if this is the first time I said it to myself, but I remember thinking that when I broke down, the, the bike broke down, I needed, you know, to get a, whether it was a flat fix or something else. And I happened to be riding in the area of a uh, big bike race that happens across Nebraska called Brand Bike Race across, or Bike Ride Across Nebraska. And so I think it was there was a, a guy who had a car, saw me kind of on the road needing help, put my bike and myself in his car. He drove me to wherever they were kind of people were camping out for that day. And since it's this big bike ride, they've got, you know, mechanics that go along uh, for the ride and are kind of available uh, throughout the the trail or the, the road. So they just, they saw, you know, I got there, told them who I was, what I was doing, and they fixed me up real quick, and I got on my way. Um, and I just remember feeling that, you know, there's an incredibly, there's a much greater sense of trust that I think exists from people 
in a car, people on the street, towards people on bikes, because I think people on bikes are seen as a much lesser threat um, than someone who might be in a car, right? Like we don't hear about people getting road rage on a bike. Mm-hmm. Right. No, one's, no one's jumping off their bike and pulling out a gun to because they're angry that someone cut them off. Right. Um, and so the let the that factor I think really uh, influences how people treat people on bikes. And so, in my opinion, from my experience, I think we receive the best of humanity, even if. You know, people would be suspicious of me or someone else um, in another setting for whatever reason. I think because when you're on a bike, you just you're, you're less threatening. Um, and I think, you know, there are there are other, some other things I think, you know, some people would say having braces is like you smile and your smile is somehow, you know, no matter what, you're not you're not malevolent because <laughs> It's just mm-hmm. not something that we associate with the, uh, with danger, right? Um, so I think that really means that I get more of a positive response from people when I'm on the bike. Um, and that really, to me, is the, you know, a really positive thing because especially I am in a more vulnerable position. Whether I'm on a highway or I'm on a city street, I am in a more vulnerable position. So I do prefer and I'm glad to receive that um, you know, benefit of the doubt, let's call it, from passersby. And therefore I really, you know, I, I feel like it enables people to give their best and me to receive their best as well. Mm. I like how you explained that in both perspectives. And definitely there is that vulnerability piece that you're acknowledging that you are more vulnerable and that also creates an opportunity for people to be helpful. And we know that it creates community. It creates connection when we know that we can do something for each other on just purely the human, loving, kind, caring level. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Have you done any long tours? Let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, in the U.S., I have done, um, as I said, first Chicago to San Francisco. Um, that was kind of my, uh, my, my friends call it kind of my insane trip because I literally had never gone overnight on a bike before that. But I had done a lot. I've been commuting quite a number of miles each week uh, in through for work at in, at the year before going on that trip. So. I felt ready and I was, I think, as ready as I was going to be. And so I did that trip in 20, I think it was the summer of 2013. And then I followed that up about a year or two later with a trip from Chicago, about halfway up the lower peninsula of Michigan. Uh, Got into some interesting towns, Baldwin, which uh, was a surprising town just because of the relatively integrated population, racially integrated population there that has uh, like roots in the Underground Railroad, which I thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I also have done um, Chicago. Ah, After that, sorry, another year or two after that, I did New York City to D.C. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Uh, went from Chicago up to the northern part of Wisconsin, about 500 miles north of Chicago, where you get into a lot of like lakes and 
country homes and things like that that people have. And I have a friend who, my I, the last three trips that I mentioned there are ones that I've done with a very good friend of mine who uh, his family has some uh, space up in northern Wisconsin where they kind of vacation in the summer. Mm. So it sounds like you have had this like equal experience of city commuting, like biking as a daily part of your life and the longer touring parts, which are, are vastly different experiences, even though you are in the same method of transportation. Yeah, very much so. Um, I have done, you know, I do daily, uh, you know, or, you know, every few days I'm like on the bike, whether it's going to get food, going to meet up with friends, going wherever in the city. And I've also done, um, you know, the longer trips that I mentioned, the longer trips being very different because there's so much more that you have to kind of think about, you know, what are you, what are you packing and how are you packing as little as absolutely possible? Um, and you're thinking about, well, I'm going to have to, you know, I do have to bring a little bit of a change of clothes or, you know, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to come back to this house. So I need, um, you know, whatever I can pack in order to have the bare minimum with me. And those are really different factors uh, from, you know, like I'm going out and I'm coming back home. You know, I mean, when I go out and I come back home, there isn't, I, I don't think of there being much difference to if I get in a car to go out and mm -hmm, come back home. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe weather. <laughs> Maybe weather. Sure. Uh, and that is, I will say, the beautiful thing about Mexico City is it's basically I call it San Francisco closer to the sun. Uh, so mm. the weather is extremely predictable. We don't really have uh, variations in temperature that are unpredictable. We have the same, you know, 65, 75 every day. Um, and we have rain for about five or six months out of the year and the rest of the year is pretty dry. So it's very predictable. It's kind of like we think about the traffic in Los Angeles being um, the thing that's unpredictable, but the weather there is always consistent. And Mexico City is, I think, very similar. The traffic is some days horrible, some days less horrible, but the weather is always great. Do you do any uh, trips from Mexico City to explore other parts of Mexico or do you typically like travel first and then take a journey? So I haven't. I, if I do or it, when I do um, and my, my partner there is uh, we're kind of working towards getting her to join me in some of the uh, a longer trip. I intend to go from Mexico City to whatever the destination is. I have done one day where I went to a town uh, maybe in a car, probably an hour and 20 minutes south of the city and then came back the next day. Um, so any trip that I would do in Mexico City, I would like to do by starting in Mexico City and going to a destination. But there are probably places like in Baja California, for example, that I might. Uh, I know there's like a nice ride that people do in the wine country there. I might do that uh, by flying my bike to Tijuana or something mm -hmm. first. But I would say in general, I've, I would prefer to go straight from Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you should use bike flights for shipping. Yep. Oh yeah. I've and, used them. They're great. Um, okay, I, great. And don't forget I, to do like the forward slash warm showers. You'll get a discount if you yeah. um, 
you know, use them through us. They're they're a great supporter of this podcast. So we always remind people, don't forget, they were actually one of the first partners or companies that really wanted to see us do more storytelling and came on board to help mm. us make that happen. So and they they're they're great for shipping bikes. So it's yeah. a win win. Yeah, I used them to go back from when I finished my ride in California. I flew my bike back, um, and it was very simple. I mean, the, the the only challenge really was putting the bike back together, which I'm not a very experienced um, bike mechanic, so I had to bring it to a shop. But that was just me. I mean, people who know better how to put their bike together, it's even simpler. Today's episode is brought to you by BikeFlights.com, the leading bicycle shipping service and bike box supplier for cyclists. You'll enjoy low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery with every shipment, and you get preferred handling for your high-value bikes, wheels, and gear. As a brand built around a love for impact, and every Bike Flights shipment is carbon neutral. Join the nearly 1 million cyclists who have used Bike Flights to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009 and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track all of your shipments. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today for more information and to book your shipment. Now back to the show. It does amaze me how well you get to know your bike when you are when you are traveling on it. Like you'll learn so many small things and I am definitely not mechanically inclined at all. And yet I know the basics, but I'm not sure I could put my bike back together once it's been taken apart. To me, it's like, oh, my brain is, it hurts my brain. I will say I, um, when I left Chicago for that big ride, I knew how to change a flat and that was it. And I was laughing to myself the other day about the fact that when I, at the time that I did that, I didn't even know how to properly oil a chain. Mm. And I would, thinking that I was doing the right thing, I would literally just like take the bottle and like pour it, you know, not like it, you know, with the drip nozzle, but Mm -hmm. I would pour it onto each gear and each chain ring Mm. Uh, words that I might not have even known at the time, as opposed to just focusing on the chain and making sure each link in the chain got oil. Um, and so I had trouble or not, not really trouble, but I, my chain would slip when I was shifting um, more than it should have because I was the entire gear structure was overly oiled. Like dripping. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, if it was dripping, I can't, I mean, I don't know if it was dripping, dripping, but it was definitely like, I didn't know how to oil a chain or any of the gears. And I had no idea you weren't supposed to just pour it onto the gears. So I did that and, you know, live and learn. And thankfully it didn't really cause a problem. But looking back, you know, I went with the, what I would say is basically the absolute bare minimum of knowledge of, of a bike. And then I just made my way to San Francisco. And you know, Daniel, you might have just taught a whole bunch of people how to properly oil their chain that doesn't know how to or haven't had to, hasn't had to yet on their own. So thank you for that. So while we're on that topic, what other tips and tools (laughs) would you share with people, especially um, 
especially I, I want to talk first, what are the tips and tools about city cycling? Because I think mm-hmm. that that is something uh, unique that you really have to share on how to navigate busy roads with lots of traffic. And even if along sure. someone's journey, they're going through a city or they decide to stay in a city overnight, mm-hmm. you know, what can yeah. you share about that? I mean, so I, there are like, I think, I think one, you need a certain level of, I mean, I, I, I talk to people often who are like, oh, this city is so dangerous. I especially like people, people from Mexico City, people who've moved to Mexico City, people who are there for a day. They're like, how could you bike here? It's so dangerous. It's so the, the, the driving, the traffic is so bad. And I would say yes and no to that. I mean, I don't think the traffic when you're in it is much worse than New York City or mm-hmm. some you know faster streets in Chicago. Um I think there are plenty of places, I think everywhere that doesn't have a bike lane is a place where you're at risk for getting doored. Um, so people, you know, who aren't paying attention to driver on the, or someone in the driver's side could open their door and you could get creamed just by riding alongside cars so that you're not like right in the middle of the road. And to that end, I would say my first suggestion for people who want to ride in cities is to give yourself a what you believe to be just a little bit more than a full doors width of space between yourself and parked cars. Because even if that puts you into traffic, moving traffic is going to see you much more um, quickly and effectively than parked cars because parked cars are not always looking out their driver's side mirror to check for oncoming anything. And even if that puts you into traffic, those Cars that are moving will move at your pace. No one is looking to run you over. Unless someone knows you and has a vendetta for you, (laughs) no one's looking to run you over. So they might beep at you. They might not be happy to be slowed down, but they also have to deal with it because they would rather deal with it than cause a problem for life or insurance. Um so that's my one of the first things I would say. I also tell people when you get to a stoplight, you even if it feels sketchy, I always make sure that I find my way to the front of the line. I don't wait between cars or in the back of traffic. I mean, unless you're going to wait all the way at the back behind, you know, there could be if there's 40 cars, you're going to you're going to wait behind car number 40 unless you're willing to wait that far back. I make sure to get to the very beginning, the very front of the line and put myself in front of other cars, even if that means I'm like halfway in the crosswalk or something. Um, in New York City, I might not put myself right in the crosswalk in some streets because it's it's a busy, you know, there's a lot of people walking. Density of walking is more so in New York City than any other place I've been. But the my feeling about getting in front of the cars is just that when that light turns green, you want everyone to see you and be aware they should be moving out of your way or at a pace that allows you to move and, you know, them deal with it. Because, you know, at no point in biking should a car have priority over a bike. And I also say that at no point in biking should a, should a bike have priority over a pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that's that if you, I think it's based on speed and power and you know if you hit a pedestrian that's kind of like a car hitting you on the bike you don't neither one should happen neither one do you want to happen and 
all should be, you should take all precautions to avoid it. Um, certainly, you know, I mean, I, I guess this goes, I feel like this goes without saying, but I do see people not doing it. So obviously wear a helmet. Um, I also, since my injury, I don't just wear a helmet. I wear elbow pads, wrist pads, and knee pads. Um, just because right now, since I'm still in uh, like the last few months of a one-year rehab, um, I you know I can ride, but I am trying to take extra precautions. Maybe in a year or two, I might just go back to the helmet. But to be honest, if I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna hit my wrists and my hands, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, that's how I'm gonna break my fall, even if I break it poorly. Um, so wrist guards are, I think, good. Um, elbow pads also. I'm probably going to maybe hit an elbow somewhere somehow. And having busted one knee, I don't really want it to happen again. So it just seems to me like that's a better way to go about it. And it doesn't really make me hotter or sweatier or anything like that. I find that, you know, if anything, I just think it makes me safer. Mm-hmm. Those are all very good practical tools. And so how about if you are doing a longer stretch in more open areas that are not city? Um, um, what works for you? Well, I haven't done a longer stretch uh, since this injury, but, well, actually, no, that's not true. The other day I did 70 miles to go upstate uh, here in New York. Um, but I still wore all my pads because I was going in and out of towns. Like some of, some of it was trail, some of it was town. Um, so I'd still wear all those pads and I think I would just wear all those pads. Cause to be honest, even if I am on a highway in Nevada where I know that I might see 10 cars the whole day, if I hit a pothole or I, you know, I don't know, like a snake crosses the road and I happen to, you know, try to swerve out of the way and I fall, I'd rather fall on padded joints than unpadded ones. Um, mm. And again, I don't, you know, if it, if it really affected how hot it made me, I would, you know, maybe reconsider. But I don't think I would, I would do other, you know, I would, I would have other gear uh, on me physically um, if I was on highways. If I was riding on highways and I had, you know, we're talking about like what I would take with me. I mean, I certainly pack a pannier, but I try to, by the time I... I should say when I did my longest trip from Chicago to San Francisco, I left with four panniers, front rack and a back rack. And I ended with one. And I had like, I had a system for water where I had a three liter, um, one of those three liter like packs that are sort of um, built for backpacks. But I Mm -hmm. put it into my pannier and I rigged up a hose that so you can get like a hose extensions for those packs and i rigged up a hose that basically went out of the pannier wrapped around the seat post went along the um along the bike frame and then wrapped around again at the stem and i just had this sort of hose that would hang off the front and I could grab that and mm. it would, and it, you know, it didn't hit the wheel and it reached my mouth and it was fine. And that's how I would generally drink throughout the day instead of having to reach for a bottle and awkwardly maybe put it back. Um, that hose system has always worked for me uh, very well. 
Brilliant. And how did you get rid of the rest of the stuff to go down to one pannier? Like, how, how did that? Yep. I mean, what, I, I'm, I'm curious as to what you started with that you shed along the journey. Um, so I started with probably um, two books. I know I started with like a box of um, vinyl gloves that I thought, oh, I'll, you know, want these when I'm trying to like fix something in the, with the chain or whatever. And um, I realized that I am not going to be clean on this experience. <laughs> this is not a, uh, you know, this is not a fresh and clean uh, experience. So if I'm a little, my hands are a little dirty, I'll wipe them on my already dirty clothes. Um, and so I gave up the gloves. Uh, books were a very uh, lovely aspiration, but after... 60, 70, 80 or more miles on a bike. Uh, I don't know about other people, but I find as much as I love to read that I will fall asleep before I finish a page. Mm -hmm. So I did not uh, continue with the books. Um, I think what I did with a couple of the books, I had maybe two or three. I don't remember if exactly the number, but I donated a couple to like a campsite that I had stayed at. And I think a few other things. By the time I got about halfway, I got to Boulder, Colorado to visit a friend. And um, in Boulder, I basically shipped half of what I had back to my parents in uh, New York City just because it was easier to, for them to receive it. And with that, you know, I was kind of free of a bunch of stuff, um, including like the front rack, which I found to be very kind of made balancing and whatnot very precarious. Mm. So you learned a lot about what you actually need. What are the essentials? Right. And I think I learned what I can live with, what I can live without with. And it's very interesting when I think about like the amount of the amount of stuff I live with, the consumption that I engage in, you know, as a, an urban dweller and, uh, you know, 21st century person, um, as you know, minimalist as I try to be, uh, I am never as minimalist at home as I am on the bike. And it makes me think about how, you know, what, what could I, I mean, when I, I should say when I bike, I do, I don't really carry food with me. I don't carry a camping situation where I can, you know, I have a tent, but I don't carry like a little camping stove and meals ready to eat and things like that. I eat in local restaurants. I try to always land in a town where I can eat in at least, you know, whatever the local food is. Um, and so living on that plus whatever I bring on the bike makes me kind of like, you know, sometimes think about like, well, how much of what I, it, it's, there's a, there's a contradiction. There's a, you know, I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance, but there's a cognitive, there, there's a, there's a lived contradiction in what I can get by with on the bike and what I have at home, um, no matter how minimalist I might feel mm -hmm. that I live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely understand that. You and I were talking before we started to record that I've spent a good chunk of this year living in remote places and you know doing my amazing, fun, warm showers work. And it's so interesting to me on how little I lived with for mm -hmm. a long period of time. And then returning back to a, a central home base that is full of stuff. It was like, why do I, why do we, 
why do we have all of this stuff that we don't actually need? And yeah. I love that you're sharing that lesson from being on the bike because it does carry over in life as a whole in our consumption for sure. Yeah, it is a very, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I also remember really appreciating or always appreciate when I'm doing long distance stuff is I feel the earth um, in a way that I don't feel it otherwise. Um, and with that connection to the earth, even if it's, you know, man-made earth, like asphalt, um, mm -hmm. I feel, you know, like I have an appreciation for different qualities of pavement that mm -hmm. I certainly mm -hmm. did not have <laughs> ever before riding long distance on a bike. I have appreciation for pavement versus gravel or dirt versus gravel, you know, like things that, you know, are just things that on a daily basis, especially in a city, I don't consider. And I really think that both the ground under me and the vistas around me and trees near me as I am riding, especially or the longer I ride, the more I appreciate, you know, what understanding and seeing the earth for what it is. I mean, I, you know, we think about like everything between the Appalachians and the Rockies is flat, right? And sure, it's, you know, they're, 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 it's impressively flat at points, but then there's points where it's not. And there's points where there's just the most minimal incline, but you feel it, whereas you wouldn't feel it in a car mm -hmm. or you would not even see it from a plane mm -hmm. or a helicopter or a hot air balloon or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that feeling the earth in that way, seeing, feeling, and connecting to the earth in that way is also something that I'm greatly thankful to bikes and biking for. I love that so much. I, it's interesting. I can see there's a, a plant behind you. And the moment you started talking about it, the yeah. plant started swaying. <laughs> like the one that's hanging down started swaying. It's like, oh, yes, we know you feel us. <laughs> Well, Daniel, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking time to share your knowledge and wisdom with us. And for anybody that wants to follow you on social media, where can they find you? It's a good question. Um, I don't really use social media for the most part, um, but I do have a Twitter that I will try to quickly look up for you that yeah. I, again don't use but exists or how about so, this daniel how about this how about we just leave it as if anybody would like to get in touch with you that they can message us and we will by email introduce you yeah absolutely um i'd be more than happy to receive emails or even texts uh in mexico we use whatsapp a lot and so people are that that's a easy way to communicate um so yeah if you want if people want to contact you and then contact me, by all means, um, that very would be happy great. To do so. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. And for those of you listening, if you liked this show, please feel free to share it with your friends and your family because that's how we reach more people to experience cycling. Cycling and hosting is also just sharing. And so your rating and review is appreciated, but sharing is caring. So thank you for listening, and we will be back. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Wherever you are listening, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. 
Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.